My name is Alec Crawford, and this is Stay, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you at home, at work, and around the world. I am discussing these topics with high-profile guests to give you important information that goes much deeper than other sources. Find out answers to questions like, can artificial intelligence save the planet? And how does ESG investing affect you? We can build a better, sustainable future together. Welcome to the State Podcast. Our guest today is Tyler Wood, Director of ESG and Sustainability at Gravitas Infinitum. So welcome, Tyler. Thanks, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a great day. So let's start uh, by telling me a little bit about your career journey, starting with your first job out of college to where you are today. Uh, well, my uh, my college was a bit of a um, all over the place. It was four years uh, at Salve Regina University in Newport, Rhode Island. Beautiful campus, beautiful setting, estates and castles and mansions. Um, I did a semester at sea and a semester in New Zealand uh, during university. And so when I finished school, I had um, basically uh, the, I had a real estate license and a massage therapy license and I moved to Martha's Vineyard. Wow. And uh, that's how, uh, that's how life started after college. <laughs> awesome. So how, how did you get into the whole sustainability thing? Where, what, what and uh, Gravitas and Finitum? Um, well, actually I started becoming a student of money in the rise and falls of monetary systems and, uh, actually ended up becoming a kind of, uh, a, 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 just a real student. Uh, and, um, then I ended up getting involved with a hedge fund out of New York, um, and working with, uh, an amazing mentor who managed eight floor traders that had a minimum of 25 years trading from the floor. And so I represented them uh, internationally at first um, from all my travels and connections and then domestically with getting all my securities licenses and stuff. And then just working in the hedge fund industry, uh, raising capital for you know, ninja risk managers. Uh, and then over 20 years, it just evolved uh, of working with discretionary niche traders to systematic, you know, algorithmic, higher frequency trading. And, um, so I just had to deal with a lot of shifts in trade thesis, uh, over that year, over that period of time. Um, but the trade thesis going into a circular economy and what we're doing with Gravitas Infinitum, uh, is really the biggest opportunity ever. Um, there's a study that was done on how much of the world economy is circular and only 8.6% of the total world's production of goods and services or goods, you know, with, you know, waste streams is circular. So that means it's basically a 91% open market for circular solutions. And that just really rung a bell for me. Um, and, uh, also it rung a bell for just planet repair. You know, we've turned 
nature into garbage for several thousand years and we've got to untrash the place. And so that's, uh, you know, both our water, our land and our atmosphere has to be completely untrashed. And we've been doing a horrible job stewarding this, this planet. Yeah, I, t- I totally with you on that one. You know, I saw your presentation on the Recyclotron at the Wall Street Green Summit, which looks like it's part of the solution. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. So we integrated uh, proven technologies uh, to address the unique and growing need for an alternative to the current and traditional waste management um, approaches. And so the Recyclotron provides a containerized turnkey plug and play um, distribution of equipment uh, globally to uh, process trash at the molecular level. So people, you know, separate their waste and, you know, all the different containers. But what we do is it doesn't matter for us. We separate everything at the molecular and atomic levels. And so through our Recyclotron system, we basically process all trash. doesn't have to be sorted. We can landfill mine. We can take mixed plastics and food waste and tires and sludges and ash and just the worst of the worst. We don't take live munitions or, um, and we don't take uh, radioactive waste. But other than that, we process it down into uh, renewable materials uh, going out the other side. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty next level, um, but it's all proven technology. It's just ready to be scaled globally now. Sounds pretty awesome. I can't wait for my, my personal demo. And, uh, and tell us, what, what is the scope of your role at Gravitas Infinitum? Yeah, <laughs> well, um, actually, I'm the director of ESG and sustainability, so I kind of uh, had that role for the transformational aspects, uh, and, and I'm really kind of staying same in my lane of, of expressing the important thesis behind what we're doing here. Um, and it's not only good for the planet, but it's good for the people. Uh, it's good for the community. So we're very triple bottom line oriented. And, um, so that's why it really fits well with the skill sets that I've developed over the 20 years in the hedge fund industry. And then, you know, four years in the sustainability space, uh, I call it, you know, in the term of the hedge fund world, sustainable alpha. Um, and because we're coming out with very profitable, streamlined uh, businesses that are ready to scale, hyperscale. Love that, sustainable alpha. So what is your favorite part of the job? Um, my favorite part of the job is a lot of the educational aspects that I get to do and walking through our process, uh, sharing the benefits that this brings to the communities, um, educating them on what a circular economy can provide to a community. Um, and, you know, some, to some extent, breaking down the barriers. Uh, we've, we've done a horrible job stewarding this planet, like I said, we're turning nature into garbage, we're, and no one wants another landfill in their backyard. You know, I've got to be there to be the person to say, hey, look, there's other ideas. There's other pathways. Let's look at this. And the interesting aspect about it is that most communities or even companies for that matter, they don't have the capital, you know, to clean up all their wastes. It's a very expensive, high capex type of um, endeavor. 
And so what we do is we come in and we don't require any capital whatsoever. All we need is a good credit counterparty um, and uh, a long-term waste contract. And we provide all the funding um, and any of the uh, tipping and recycling fees uh, that are charged, uh, we actually uh, have the ability to rebate up to 100% of that back uh, to the counterparty. So uh, for them, it looks like a net zero cost virtual endless landfill. Wow, pretty amazing. So uh, obviously, the uh, you had some pretty smart people working on this. So tell me more about Alan Witters, the CEO. So Alan has been um, just is just an amazing human being. Um, and I've dealt with a lot of really brilliant people in the hedge fund industry, but Alan's a whole nother breed because he's an operator. Um, he's started in the seventies with, uh, computer aided design, um, designing things from nuclear subs to satellites and all kinds of things in between. He was one of the founders of the first cloud computing. And then later on in the nineties, won the contract with the department of defense to be the owner and operator for the intranet for the department of defense. And that was a six or $7 billion contract that he was awarded. And that was, you know, unifying hundreds of disparate bases around the world into a single network. Uh, so he had the highest levels of clearance and he was very, very good at critical infrastructure and speed to scale. Uh, and that's what we're doing uh, with the rollout of Recyclatron and uh, Carpentera Zero Fill Services. Sounds awesome. And, and your firm has also funded a nonprofit called Hot Planet Repair Team. What do they do? Uh, so Hot Planet Repair Team is we really wanted to build a bigger tent. There's a lot of people out there that are dedicated to planet repair and planet repair in their own way. And we want to include them uh, and also a bit of a talent pool for bringing them into roles within what we're doing on a for-profit basis as well. Uh, we also wanted to have a connectory to allow people that have planet repair as front and center in what they want to do, um, we we it's it's just kind of a a melting pot of of people that we've brought in from around the world. We also through our nonprofit uh, want to put up demonstration centers for our recyclotrons uh, and our Carbotera technology and other technologies as well. So a bit of a global planning and demonstration centers uh, and education centers, uh, as well as the tracking of the impact that we're doing and, and being able to uh, remunerate back to the communities those credits that we're providing. So we don't necessarily need to take all the credit for the cap capturing carbon or all of the, the credits. We want to actually give those credits uh, to the communities that we're working with. Got it. And talk a little bit about the XO company as well. Well, Excel comes from Alan's background in working with um, uh, cloud computing as well as the internet for uh, the DoD. It's a serverless uh, platform that builds platforms and it has a 99.9% .9 lower carbon footprint. So it's very transformational for companies to uh, utilize this. It's also because it is serverless, it has no attack vectors from a uh, hacking standpoint. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to it and there's a lot of features to it, but essentially 
it's a bit of a ledger of all things that doesn't have such a high footprint. Uh, similar to like it's built off of the Amazon Web Services and a whole bunch of other layers of technology that uh, go way over my head. Uh, but it's it's definitely a need because all the server farms and all the Bitcoin bro hodlers, you know, with blockchain everything, there's a tremendous uh, draw on on the energy demand uh, for just keeping a ledger. And a ledger doesn't necessarily need to demand that much uh, power. Got it. So turning back to sustainability, what are the biggest gaps in sustainability, let's say from a government or regulatory standpoint between the U.S. and Europe? Uh, well, we kind of just a bit jumped ahead with this uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, and Europe is feeling like they, you know, we, we jumped ahead of them and they were feeling a bit like some of their businesses might be left out of our business. But if you think about the carbon market, it's going to be bigger than the oil and gas industry, bigger than the internet. It's going to be one of the biggest industries in the world. And so it's going to be probably a high level of competition going on, you know, back and forth, uh, you know, co-opetition in a sense, but it's going to be, there's going to be just so many opportunities. I mean, you've got a 91% gap to turn the whole planet circular. You know, that's a very open market to, uh, to transition into. Um, and, um, you, people can high five themselves with about sustainability and resilience, but if it's not circular, it's not sustainable or resilient. So that we really have to start identifying the terminologies, uh, better. And I think that the circularity aspect to it, uh, zero waste, zero emissions, uh, is is a really critical uh, aspect to uh, the message that we as humans have to carry forward for multiple generations. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And and for you and for Gravitas Infinitum, what do you think your biggest challenge is over the next year or next five years? Uh, the challenges will change. Uh, right now, challenges basically are allowing people to understand that this is proven technologies that have been, we've gone through, you know, our techno-economic due diligence with a multi-trillion dollar sovereign advisory group that only invests in sustainable infrastructure. So we're coming out with some of the best technology with the best financial supporters in the world to untrash the planet. And communities haven't known anything other than just making another landfill or shipping it away to some other landfill or putting on a barge and sending it off to some other country. Um, they're not actually eliminating their waste. They're just kind of mitigating it. And, um, and so that's, that's the challenge right now is capturing their imagination that there's an alternative that doesn't necessarily have to be a big CapEx spend. Um, but from the standpoint of the next five years, uh, just seeing the funnel of business uh, in, in, in our trajectory is so massive that um, keeping up with the manufacturing um, and scaling the manufacturing of, of our reactors uh, will be a, the, the, the challenges into that you know, three to five year mark because there's 11 billion tons of trash being created a year 
you know, and so that's just that's just the stuff going into landfills wow, or waste yeah. energy, and you know, just the the all of the waste is going out is is and and waste of energy is uh, very popular right now, but um, that's just a notch down from 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 coal. So if you're not a if you're not a, if you're a big you know coal fan, you could be a great waste energy fan. But there's alternatives to that that don't have you know permitted pollutions with heavy metals and PFAS and forever chemicals wafting into our atmosphere and into the this you know toxic ash waste streams that come out the other side to these monofill waste monofill landfills of just uh, incinerator ash. Uh, we have to actually pull the carbon out of the atmosphere. We don't need to pull it out of the Earth's crust anymore. We've got plenty of it exposed in our waste streams and in our atmosphere. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Now, in terms of of, of um, manufacturing, have you run into any supply chain issues or anything? Obviously, that was a big story last year. Yeah, that was more of a story last year. Uh, and um, I don't foresee, at least immediately, that being... Um, a challenge. I think that there is capacity constraints for being able to get out the volumes of 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 recyclotrons that we see in our funnel. But I don't, and, and I do think that we're going to be strategically placing our gigafactories uh, where uh, there's going to be strong access to you know st uh, steel steel production. Got it. So obviously a lot of stuff going on in the economy, uh, big inflation, potential recession later this year, yield curves inverted. Uh, do you think that might slow sustainability goals in general or, or you know, cramp the style of uh, you being able to sell a lot of recyclotrons or um, advance? I, th I think for other businesses, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, you know, recessionary pressures are always going to be challenging and increased interest rates are always going to be challenging for some people. But for what we're doing, I think sustainability is what's going to get us out of recession. And uh, these types of productive assets, I think people have over the last several years have just really gotten into speculative assets, whether it be crypto, whether it be some SaaS company. It's a highly speculative, highly leveraged, not necessarily highly productive asset. And when you have increased interest rates and, you know, decreased, you know, risk, um, uh, capacities, then you're going to want to get out of speculative assets and into productive assets. And that's exactly what this is. And it's a long-term productive asset with essentially unlimited proven reserves and no decline rate, because we're all going to be producing trash into the future. Well, it sounds better than Bitcoin for sure. Uh, now, are there any third-party organizations you like or recommend to help investors grappling with sustainability issues? That's a tough question because there's a lot of um, investment banks out there that deal with different companies at various stages of their growth. And so depending on whatever the technology readiness level is, you know, if you may want to go to like maybe the Department of Energy and their loans program office. Uh, but you can also go to, you know, the private companies that are looking to represent up and comers in the sustainability space. And there's a lot of new investment banking groups out there that are looking to do that. Uh, as far as private equity goes, that's a trickier solution because private equity 
they come in when very early and they take a very large chunk of your um, uh, capital stack, uh, so yep. to speak. They're basically, you know, the majority owners right out of the gate. And they don't necessarily have the total vision of the alignment as far as timeframes of what you do and what they have. They may want to have immediate exit in a couple of years and you may need to have a longer ramp uh, to really uh, excel the business. So uh, private equity has been very SaaS oriented where you can just get these really massive quick multiples. But when you're building productive assets, you know, that's going to, it takes time. You know, you've got a multi-trillion dollar oil and gas industry that has had trillions and trillions of dollars just poured into it with $11 million, $11 million per minute in subsidies going into it. And so you're going into a backdrop of, you know, what's, what else is out there? And um, there's a lot of great investment banks out there that uh, are mission aligned. And you really want to make sure you're mission aligned with the groups that are coming in to, to, um, to be your backers. Got it. Now, uh, changing directions a little bit for our listeners, is there any sustainability related book or, or paper that you recommend or something you've read recently? Um, just what drawdown was one of my favorites. It, um, and I, cause I, it was good for me. There's a lot of solutions in there and it wasn't necessarily a, a technical or a financial. It was just more of an educational book. Uh, talking about the various ways of drawing down uh, carbon out of the atmosphere. And um, and a lot can be learned from that. Uh, and I'd say that that's probably a good starting point if you're kind of new. Um, but then it gets really, because what we're doing is getting into nanomaterials and uh, the the, you know, uh, nanotechnology of sorts for separating trash at the atomic levels. And so we're kind of taking a high tech and proven tech way of going towards it. But underlying it all is we're, we're taking atmospheric CO2 and waste streams and, and capturing that carbon into very useful uh, output materials. Yeah, sounds great. And um, I noticed you volunteered Kiva.org. Tell us about that organization. Kiva's been, when I was a student of money, I, uh, I became a fan of Muhammad Yunus, who actually started in the 70s with the Grameen Bank. And he did microloans to women in Bangladesh. And um, that ended up, getting him a Nobel Peace Prize in the early 2000s. And I was hearing it while I was traveling um, in Chile at the time. And I was like in tears just hearing, you know, that because he'd taken hundreds of millions of women uh, out of poverty from his microloans and microlending. And so not too many years later, uh, uh, Kiva came aboard, Kiva came around, similar to Grameen Bank, but it's crowdfunded. So you become your own international bank of you and you can find small micro loans of $25 or more to people of all sex and locations and everything all over the world and essentially be able to provide them 
a small short-term loan where they pay back. And so I think I've gotten um, close to 700 loans in over 60 countries over the last 15, wow. 15 years. And uh, I've referred it to a bunch of friends over, the t- over that time as well. And they've referred and, and, and done micro loans to hundreds of people as well. So through this crowdfunded um, service, you're getting people out of poverty all over the world. That is pretty amazing. I'm going to try that. Gonna, well, what happens is that a shot. What happens is that when you get the money back and re- return to you, then you can reloan it. Yeah. So it's perfect. just a rolling ball of good, good karma credit. Absolutely. That's uh, that's great advice. So, uh, so now we're gonna we're gonna shift gears to uh, the 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 second part of our show. Uh, the last five minutes or so is called underrated or overrated, and allows you to give uh, your thoughts on these specific topics. And we'll kick it off with uh, Walter Stahl, one of the originators of the circular economy. Underrated or overrated? Uh, underrated. I don't think most people know what the circular economy is. It sounds nice. Uh, you know, donut economics, some other terms, phrases that have happened. But the key phrases, if you look at it, you know, from popularity, you know, sustainability and resilience is what all the politicians are all you know, getting all their political points from. Uh, But if it's not circular, it's not sustainable or resilient. So they have to really think about what, what we're doing here and do the extra work to create a circular economy. And it's, it just takes some extra work, but it's, we have all the tools, we have all the tools we need. Yeah, well, we're going to have to do it. Yeah. Uh, Naples, Florida, underrated or overrated? Well, since I've been here, living here for 20 years, um, I've seen it grow substantially. I'd call it underrated because when I was traveling around the world, I was, people would ask me where I'm from and I would just say Miami, Florida, because if I, and they think that that's just the place, the world of, you know, champagne and, you know, bikinis. And, um, but I can't say that I live someplace better than Miami. Wow. Um, and so <laughs> it's a little, it's casual chic. It's not turbo chic. Doing a semester at sea, underrated or overrated? That's underrated. The semester at sea trip that I took, uh, changed my life forever. I got to see, um, some of the most beautiful places on the planet, some of the most trashed and horrific places on the planet. Uh, abject poverty um, right in South Africa during the time of Nelson Mandela's um, um, rise to presidency. And in those townships, seeing the transformation of people getting their country back. Uh, so that was, that was transformational. Um, semester at sea, I'd highly recommend everybody doing it, whether they're a student or a senior student. Awesome. Supercomputers, underrated or overrated? Um, I'd say they're probably underrated right now. Um, there's some technologies coming out in the supercomputer space that, uh, uh, you know, it's just going to be, we're not going to, five years from now, looking back, we're not even going to recognize ourselves. Electric motorcycles, underrated or overrated? 
Uh, I'd say underrated again there. Uh, I'm a fan of electric. Uh, I have an electric all-terrain electric skateboard that I rip around with all the time. And that thing is fast as a hiccup. And I would say that, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, um, I think, more safety now because I did a two-month motorcycle tour through New Zealand. Uh, and I always, it was such a beat-up motorcycle that I always had to basically, you know, fill the oil and check the gas. And, and, and I managed to get a really amazing two-month motorcycle tour. But if I had an electric uh, motorcycle, that would be a pretty amazing uh, motorcycle tour through New Zealand. Heat pumps, underrated or overrated? They are definitely underrated. No one really knows that they're the, you know, one of the key transformative uh, applications in homes to lower a home's carbon footprint and energy demand. So I think that uh, everyone should look into that uh, and do a little do a little home improvement. Quantum computing, underrated or overrated? Uh, it's underrated, um, and I'd imagine our CEO, Alan Witters, uh, being able to pontificate on, on all that, but uh, I'll, I'll let him at, at an, at, you know, express what he knows about quantum computers. <laughs> all right, he might be the next guest. And yeah. then uh, autonomous cars, underrated or overrated? Well, I've got a a Model Y, and it has a full self-driving, and I feel safer than I've ever felt. I mean, I don't do it in locations that I see there could be a lot of people around. I, you know, I, I'm pretty vigilant, but if I'm on the highway, uh, this is paying way better attention and keeping me in the lane far better than uh, ever before. So I feel far safer. Uh, with full self-driving and autonomous, even changing lanes. It, was, it takes a little bit to get used to, but it's a game changer. Visiting New Zealand. Um, I had the pleasure of visiting New Zealand twice, uh, once in college and then once uh, about 20 years later. And that was just an incredible, just an, an, an incredible experience. Uh, beautiful country, and uh, we're working with uh, uh, a group in New Zealand to help them untrash uh, their indigenous land and um, provide community development support, universal basic income. There's some really exciting things that we're working on with uh, with our group in, in New Zealand and, and look forward to getting back and helping untrash the place. Awesome. Uh, plant-based meat, underrated or overrated? I think we all saw that uh, the stock prices of uh, that, it was a bit overrated. Um, but I do think that we'll see other iterations of, you know, meat alternatives um, that uh, are more palatable to everybody. But ultimately, we've got to figure out what we're going to eat because we can't, we can only provide so much food for so many people and not need another planet to do so. So we've got to be a little bit conscious about what we're doing uh, by, you know, chopping down a bunch of rainforest to put a bunch of 
uh, cow fields in like uh, in the Amazon doesn't seem like a really smart way to feed a bunch of people. Right. And uh, next, the impact of the SEC's proposed climate risk and greenhouse gas filing rule, which kicks in uh, for this fiscal year, uh, underrated or overrated? I guess we'll have to see. I'd like to say it's underrated um, because of the, you know, a massive impact that it'll have that major financial institutions uh, to understand that climate risk is a financial risk. Um, And so you can't whittle your way out of it. You know, you can't just say, oh, it's not certain anymore or whatever. You know, we know it's real. It's not a myth. You know, it's not fake news. It's real news. It's real science. You got thousands of scientists reporting about it. So I I think it'll be a really good thing. But the major companies around the world have been done a fantastic job of greenwashing um, and and institutionalizing greenwashing to this point. And so we really have to have people have truly uh, impactful uh, business models that are triple bottom line, you know, people, planet, profits. Absolutely. Artificial intelligence, underrated or overrated? That's, that's underrated right now. I've been uh, learning a lot about ChatGPT and some of the others with uh, Google. Um, and um, what's going to happen with all that? We've got ourselves quite a transformational time uh, with ChatGPT and its implications. And imagine having a personal assistant basically being a chat GPT and actually getting stuff done for you. Not just saying, hey, I need a flight to look up flights to such and such. It's like, you know, working with chat GPT would be like, you know, imagine using interfaces that are like, I need a flight, book it, done. And then you have a virtual assistant that is actionable, getting stuff completed. And it's, uh, it's AI based. And I just feel that that's probably, it's going to disintermediate a lot of jobs. Um, So people are going to have to figure out how to get a universal basic income or figure out how to up their, uh, up their game. Yeah. And then uh, last one, the movie V for Vendetta. Uh, That's just an awesome movie. Um, the style of it, the the whole thing, the the dialogue, the interplay. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies. I uh, I'm not like a, uh, a revolutionary, so to speak, in that term of things, because the whole crescendo of that movie was just you know blowing up the place. Uh, but I do think that there is some creative destruction uh, that uh, needs to take place because we've been horrible stewards of the planet and we need to redirect our priorities. Um, and, you know, if you're, you, we have to think a little bit longer term than, you know, quarterly gazillion dollars of profits for the oil and gas industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in, in, calling it good for the economy and as it's, you know, slowly 
polluting and cutting off the life of the life of the planet. So we'll we'll see. I think that what we're helping them do is um, change their source supply of carbon, and that's ultimately what we need to do. Having the the bankruptcy of the oil and gas industry does not does not benefit anybody at all, and they're making you know, ridiculous profits. But at the same token, they need to have a avenue that they can turn off of with a golden bridge uh, to transition from the damage that they've done to this, um, uh, to this, uh, to our global environment. Absolutely. Well, we've been speaking with Tyler Wood, director of ESG and sustainability at Gravitas Infinitum. And Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you, Alec. It's been uh, great to be here. You were listening to the State Podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. For example, Apple Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And you can also find us on stayblog.substack.com. Thanks.